From the newsrooms of the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age, this is Please Explain. I'm Julia Carcatzel, filling in for Samantha Selinger-Morris. It's Monday, January 8. Demand for medicinal cannabis in Australia has skyrocketed since its legalisation in 2016. Same-day telehealth consultations are a quick Google search away. Cannabis dispensaries are popping up in major cities across the country. And while medicinal cannabis is helping people with conditions ranging from chronic pain and anxiety to cancer and migraines, concerns are being raised about how the industry is operating. Which is a total of 280 grams, and that was for one month. (laughs) Wow. Today, Chief Reporter Jordan Baker on whether doctors have their patients' best interests at heart. So, Jordan, before we get into what has become a huge demand for medicinal cannabis in Australia, I just wanted to ask you where this story begins. Well, it begins with a really, I suppose, long-standing belief by many users of cannabis that it has health benefits. I mean, obviously, this is thousands of years old, this idea that cannabis can help you with all sorts of things from pain. A lot of cancer users use it to alleviate their symptoms. Olivia Newton-John used it to alleviate her symptoms in the final few years of her life. Along with my other treatments, the cannabis really helped me. It also, I was able to win myself off the morphine with cannabis, which... So in Australia, there was a real push from people who were cancer sufferers, particularly a family whose son died of cancer, who really felt that they saw a huge shift in his ability to manage his pain due to medical cannabis towards the end of his life. So in 2016, the TGA began allowing medical cannabis, specifically produced medical cannabis to be obtained by prescription. It's a positive day for the parliament today. We're introducing the missing piece in the patient's journey when it comes to accessing safe, reliable medical cannabis, allowing the states to cultivate, to manufacture, to have clinical trials and research, and actually take this to the next step, all for the relief of patients. Right, yeah, so you're calling... There's only two very specific uses that cannabis was allowed on the pharmaceutical benefits scheme for, and that is for element of muscular dystrophy and epilepsy. So for the rest of the population, this was basically a concession by the TGA to allow it to be used in very specific circumstances, such as you know end-of-life care for people who are suffering terminal cancer and that sort of thing. So at first, when this was introduced in 2016, it was very rarely used. Like, there would be a couple of thousand prescriptions made every six months. But in the past four or five years, that has absolutely exponentially exploded. Demand for medicinal cannabis has increased at a staggering rate. Australia's largest medicinal cannabis companies is set to quadruple its production. More and more Aussies being prescribed the drug. In 2018, about 3,000 patients over a six-month period were prescribed medical cannabis in Australia. In the first six months of 2023, it was 300,000. So that has been a massive growth. So what has caused that shift then? Why have we seen so many more people prescribed medicinal cannabis in the last year or so? 
What really fueled it was the telehealth during the pandemic that really enabled uh, a lot of people to access prescriptions that they would have otherwise, you know, have had normalised to just go to the doctor. Have you tried plant medicine? With plant medicine, I can always be my best. With plant medicine, I can be on top of it all. So I choose a clinic trusted by 100,000 Aussies. So the pandemic really fueled this growth. And there is a massive industry now in Australia. expert team of doctors will assess whether plant medicine is right for you. And if you're eligible, the medicine comes right to your front door. That's why I use Alternaleaf. I use it. There's a lot of cannabis manufacturers who are registered on the stock market. Some figures suggest that in the past sort of five years, the market size of medical cannabis in Australia has grown about 95% per year. So there's a lot of money being made, not only for Australian patients, but to export. So there's a lot of investment in this as well. Okay, so since 2016, we've seen a proliferation of cannabis clinics. And most people living in major cities have probably walked past a dispensary or perhaps their local doctor's office now offers the service. And you've had experience with one clinic yourself. Can you tell me about that process? So in Sydney, there's not actually that many physical plant-based clinics. I think we have one opening in Bondi recently and there's another one slated for Newtown. So it's, it hasn't really hit the streets of Sydney in the same way it has in, for example, Melbourne. There are authorised prescribers. So when I decided to find out for myself, for work purposes, how easy it was to get medical cannabis, I did what you know every self-respecting citizen does and jumped on Google, found an authorised prescriber about 10 o'clock in the morning, made an appointment for 2 o'clock that afternoon, went to the clinic. The doctor I saw had gone through the course. He was an authorised prescriber. I'll make the point too, it wasn't cheap. This was a first patient consultation, so it cost several hundred dollars. I don't get a lot back. So even there, that was costing me quite a lot of money compared with what I might perhaps have paid if I used an online or a telehealth clinic. So I sat down with this chap. He talked me through what I was there for. Now I went for insomnia. He asked me what I had already done. I have an e-health record, so he was able to see, you know, previous consultations with doctors about this. Not everyone has that. The idea is that if you've tried other things to address it, they haven't worked. Okay, well, we'll prescribe you medical cannabis. He did go through risk factors with me. For example, you know, if I'd been under 25, he wouldn't have prescribed it. Uh, He took my blood pressure. He ensured that I didn't have any heart problems, that I wasn't pregnant, uh, that I didn't have a history of mental health issues such as schizophrenia, which could have, you know, been exacerbated by this. Now, at the same time, though, another colleague of mine looked at getting medical cannabis through the telehealth route. And that was much easier and that was much cheaper. So basically you go online, you click that you're an Australian resident, you click that you're over 18, you get hooked up with a doctor. The consultation lasts a few minutes. He asks you questions about your health. This is all voluntary information, you know. So one person I know, for example, had a heart condition, which they did not volunteer to the doctor. Nevertheless, the doctor prescribed them cannabis because once the prescription is made, it then moves on to quite a long conversation about what sort of product you might want. So there's basically two types of cannabis products. There's the THC, which is the thing that traditionally gives you the high, and then there's CBD oil, which has the THC removed. 
So you can decide on different strengths of your THC. You can try to decide on all this. There's, there's myriad choices that you make, even in your first consultation, as to what might suit you. So it, because of the lack of specificity about what particular product can treat what particular problem in what particular person, there's a lot of vagueness about the product you might choose or who is selling this product. So it's very different to the sort of visit to a doctor that you would normally make and the doctor might just go here take this you'll be better it's a very different experience yeah and just on that why wouldn't you go through your regular gp isn't that a lot safer they know your history why would you go via a separate clinic with a brand new doctor for a consultation well, there's a couple of things. One is, so doctors need to have done a specific course to become authorised prescribers. And that allows them to just prescribe. Whereas if I went to my GP who hadn't done this course, he would have to put in an application to the TGA. Now, this wouldn't be a problem because when I did a story on this last year, I asked the TGA, have any actually been knocked back? They said not since 2000 has a single application for a prescription been knocked back. Our colleague, Leah Mannix, wrote a piece basically saying that the TGA is, is, is tending to just bulk approve these. Another reason, though, which I'm why I might not go to my GP if this is what I wanted and I was convinced was good for me, is that there are a lot of GPs who are very sceptical about medical cannabis and they don't believe that there's any proof that it actually works. So, you know, if I if I decide I want medical cannabis, I will go to a GP that is A, qualified to give it, but B, is sympathetic to it and isn't going to talk me out of it. After the break, why some cannabis doctors may not have their patients' best interests at heart. So, Jordan, there is concern now in the community and from the health regulator itself, the Therapeutic Goods Administration, that doctors prescribing cannabis may not have their patients' best interests at heart, or at the very least, there's a conflict of interest here. So have you seen some indications of this happening? Yeah, it's really interesting. It's a real grey area in Australian medicine, which is a bit of a new frontier. We haven't had something like this happen before. The normal sort of pharmaceutical rules that apply do apply to a certain extent to cannabis. Like, for example, they're not allowed to advertise. But there's all sorts of things happening in this cannabis world that don't happen with other drugs. For example, we've seen situations in which medical cannabis manufacturers, the people who grow and, and make the drug, are sponsoring doctors to go and get their licence, do their course, which you would never see normally. You wouldn't see Pfizer sponsoring doctors to go and, and get special degrees because that would be seen as a clear conflict of interest and yet is still able to happen in the cannabis world. You have, you know, doctors who are invested in particular products, prescribing those products. Some clinics don't offer anything but a single company's products. You have medical clinics in which there are both doctors and effectively pharmacies. So these particular clinics get not only the cut of the consultation fee, they get a cut of the prescriber's fee as well. So it's in a way in their interests for you to buy as many products as possible because they'll be getting those commissions. So I'm Brian. I have used cannabis since I was a teenager. So I've heard anecdotal stories of people being pushed multiple products. Honestly, from the beginning, it was like a crazy amount. They gave me 40 grams of herb, 
I could repeat that script seven times, which is a total of 280 grams. And that was for one month. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. So it's like 10 grams a day. That's like an absolutely ridiculous amount for, you know, anybody besides Snoop Dogg. <laughs> so there's a lot of questions about whose interest is actually foremost in some of these interactions. And, for example, if I go along to a doctor and a doctor might say, well, actually, no, I don't, having looked at your medical history, having taken your blood pressure, having had a conversation with you about what you've done on this so far, I don't actually think medical cannabis is the right choice for you. That is not happening in these clinics. You basically go along and you get prescribed medical cannabis. Now, usually, I mean, at least in in 50% of these consultations, I've spoken to doctors who say this should be regularly happening where patients are being told, actually, this is probably not the right decision for you, but it's not happening in these clinics. Yeah, really, you could just push the buttons on the website and get a telehealth consult. I mean, I researched what I needed to have before going to get it, so I kind of knew what buttons to push. A lot of people are quite concerned too that it's effectively turning into a de facto recreational market. So one of the biggest growth areas in cannabis has been flower product. So that's much stronger than the oil product. The oil product can really weaken the THC effect. The flower product is the strong THC effect that some people may remember smoking illegally in their university days. And the biggest market for that is young men aged 18 to 35. Yeah, in all honesty, it wasn't health uh, motivated. It was motivated so that I had a prescription and could do it legally. And there's all sorts of crazy names like Purple Haze and, you know, Blue Amsterdam and all those things that, you know, you might have gotten in the the illegal market. It's, It's cheaper than the illegal market. The quality is more guaranteed than in the illegal market. So a lot of people are quite naturally turning to the medicinal market rather than, you know, doing the backroom deals. You don't want to be smoking weed all the time, right? And the sheer availability of it, yeah, really just like enabled the fuck out of me to just smoke as much as I wanted. And yeah, so you just end up smoking a lot of it. And if it wasn't fucking 280 grams a month, where like I never would get anywhere close to that, right? Definitely. Okay, so obviously some patients are being unfairly promoted products or simply aren't getting the proper guidance and healthcare they need. So what is the health regulator, the TGA, doing about this? So the TGA has flagged its concern about this and how basically it is not in the spirit of the original intention of this whole entire program. Late last year, it warned Health Minister Mark Butler and outlined some suggestions in how to sort of manage this. It has come down quite heavily on companies that are really pushing the boundaries in terms of advertising medical cannabis you're not allowed to advertise drugs in Australia and there have been sort of breaches involving this drug being pitched as a cure for pain or as a cure for insomnia. And look, it's not heroin, it's not opioids. People aren't, you know, becoming heavily addicted, cripplingly addicted as they might have with opioids. We've seen that happen in America. So there is a sense that, you know, perhaps it's not doing an enormous amount of harm and at least these people are being seen by doctors instead of self-medicating. 
But it is a failure of government policy in the sense that what is happening now was not what was intended to happen. And so it will be interesting to see if the government acts on this or whether they just sort of take a very hands-off approach and whether it's just too hard to put this genie back in the bottle. So, Jordan, medicinal cannabis was once intended for those with long-term chronic pain, those suffering from cancer, for instance, and also offered as a last resort after other treatment options had failed. But now it's being prescribed to a cohort of recreational users. It's kind of like this loophole in a society that outlaws recreational use and punishes it. Yeah, I mean, some people who are very pro-medical cannabis will argue, well, these people would have been using it anyway, and at least in this system, they get a little bit of oversight. You know, they do have to talk to a doctor. They do have to discuss their symptoms. They do have to describe what they're using it for. But a lot of other people are like, well, this is not what this was intended for. You know, as as one doctor said, you know, it's it's not Amsterdam. This This is intended to be a medical help. And the other big question that still hangs over this whole thing is there are not a lot of robust trials that show that medical cannabis does actually help with these things. I tried it for insomnia. It didn't work. There has been recently a a trial that Liam Mannix reported on which attempted to get robust data on CBD oil being a potential cure for insomnia. It didn't work. The trial failed. A lot of people now say there's been enough trials of its use for pain to suggest that it doesn't actually help pain. It is just a placebo effect. Now, people who support medical cannabis will say, well, actually, it may not take away the pain. What it does is make the pain much easier to live with. And that may be a different approach to pain than the traditional approach that these tests are looking for. And you do get very high-profile supporters like Andrew Johns, who is a very famous Newcastle Knights rugby league player, said that basically he, he could barely move because of all his injuries from sport. And medical cannabis has just basically allowed him to live again. He can manage all those things. He, he has a lot of friends in who have the similar injuries, who are, who are able to run around with their kids again now, which they attribute to medical cannabis. Lauren Jackson, the basketball player, has, is another high-profile advocate. Olivia Newton-John was a big fan. So there are lots of testimonies, but when you're talking about government health policy and you're talking about prescriptions and you're talking about the TGA being involved, you're talking about basically a kind of validated medical option, which is what medical cannabis is in Australia, there isn't a lot of proof to back it up. Thank you, Jordan, for your time today. That's okay. Always a pleasure. Today's episode of Please Explain was produced by me, Julia Karkatzel, with technical assistance by Chi Wong. Our executive producer is Ruby Schwartz. Please Explain is a production of The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald. If you enjoy the show and want more of our journalism, subscribe to our newspapers today. It's the best way to support what we do. Search The Age or smh.com.au forward slash subscribe. I'm Julia Karkatzel. This is Please Explain. Thanks for listening.